Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and if this is one of your first time visiting this church, this is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days. And this is our weekly broadcast of truth. I sure hope you guys all came here to hear the truth. I really do. Because, you know, so many churches, they don't really teach the truth. They teach lies, and they teach their spins, or they teach their own opinions. or And then they want to just please the people by saying nice things and making people feel good. But that the Bible has lots of feel good in it, but it also has lots of not to feel good in it, too. So we, we got to teach the whole counsel of God, and that's why... God has risen us up to teach the whole counsel of God and everything about the Word of God. So I hope you didn't come here to be entertained or to see a show or, or, to, or to laugh a lot. I hope you came here to hear the Word of God. And if the Word of God has something funny in it, then hey, when we can laugh. But if the, the Word of God doesn't have something funny in it and it's a serious thing and it's a learning thing, then I hope we'll be serious and I hope we'll learn too. So praise God. I always start with a word of prayer. If you guys would please join me in that word of prayer. Ask God to help us understand His Word. As we know, the Word says we can't understand the Word of God without the Holy Spirit of God. So, Lord, help us. And God, please help us. Help us to understand Your precious and powerful Word, God in Heaven. For we know in, in and of ourselves, our flesh, Lord, our, our physical men and women, Lord, we cannot understand the things of You without Your help. God, and, and I admit that, Lord. I don't know if anybody else knows that or how many people know that. I mean, I say it all the time, but Lord, I even pray for those listening all over the world, God, that you would help them understand by your Holy Spirit, Lord, as in themselves and in their flesh and in their man or woman person, Lord, they can't understand your word either. God, really, <laughs> we're helpless without you. Lord God, really we are. People think they got it, Lord, but really they don't got it. They're really helpless without you. So, Lord, help us, for we need your help, God. I'll admit it, and I need it. So, Lord, help me. Help me to keep going. Help us to keep going. Help us to keep doing what you call us to do. In these last days, Lord God, where things are getting tougher, things are getting harder, uh, Lord, please help us. Please help us. God, we, we thank you for all these things, Lord. Please open our eyes and open our ears and help us to hear your truths and see your truths. And, Lord, and then help us, Lord, not just to hear them, but help us to respond to them, Lord God in heaven. Help us not just to be hearers of your word only, but also doers as well too, Lord God. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And we ask all these things, God in heaven, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So you guys can turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26, and that's where we'll be today. But I won't read them or teach them until I give my thoughts from last week's message. Is water baptism necessary for salvation? Last week we talked about how the biblical scriptures clearly dismiss or do not support the idea that water baptism is, is, or I should say salvation, is contingent on water baptism. Yet, so many people believe it. It, It's just shocking to me how scriptures don't say water baptism is, is necessary for somebody to be saved, yet so many people believe that lie. And what I mean by that is the Bible does not support the work of water baptism necessary for someone to be saved from God's wrath of hell. Rather, it is just one of those good works that we are to do that God calls us to do, like evangelism, like prayer, like breaking of the bread, eating together, fellowshipping, apostles' doctrine, going to church. It's just one of those good works that people are supposed to do after they're saved in obedience to God and God's word. I mean, it's a sense like you get hired at a job. 
job. Well, then it just doesn't stop when you get hired at a job. You get hired on at a job and then they say, okay, here's your duties. Okay, you're supposed to do this. You're going to run the cash register. You're going to mop the floor. You're going to count the money. You're going to do the. You have things to do after you get hired at a job. And, and water baptism is no different. And, and Which is how I also added last week that there is no work, zero works, that, that salvation is contingent on, period, the end. And this is, ladies and gentlemen, orthodox biblical Christian view. These, that's what these are. These are just basic biblical views. Why? The Bible says Jesus Christ's atoning death on the cross was sufficient to save sinners. And that's it. His death on the cross was sufficient to pay the penalty for my sin. Like anyone could add anything to what Jesus Christ did on the cross by our goodness. As if man even has any goodness at all. Don't make me laugh. We are not good at all. And out of our heart proceeds all kinds of evil. And, and boy, do we see it everywhere, right? And, and, and all that I taught last week and, and all that I'm teaching today is clearly according to the Bible and not according to some book that's helping me read the Bible or, or some other authority that I'm looking at that's helping me read the Bible. It's just simply what the Bible says. For the Bible, the Bible says simply in Ephesians 2 that salvation is by God's grace through our faith in Christ alone and not by even one work, not even one. So many people have a huge problem with what I just said, but, but that's all right because, you see, I live and I hope you will choose to live by God's word and his authority and not by what people think. People's authority is themselves or some super seemingly religious person or group and their authority allows them to believe that their works are necessary for them to be saved and all that, but their authority and my authority and your authority were all flawed. See, that's the problem with us having an authority on what we think something because it's not God's authority. Our authorities, what they do is they lead us to hell. Our beliefs are what we think is right. That leads us to hell. For as there is the way that seems right to a man, but that way leads to destruction. God's way is the way that leads to life, not ours. It does always surprise me, though, just, just how many people believe that they're saved by believing in Jesus in some kind of good work. Just, just some kind of good work, according, of course, to their standard of good, right? That, that's the crutch, right? I can do good work. Good works to who? Well, well, you know, it's good. Good works to you may not be good works to God because we, we our perception is flawed and tilted in sin. God's is perfect, right? But, but they, can, they think they can do, do some kind of good work according to the standards of their good where they believe that they can earn their eternal life and do it their way instead of coming to God by His way. Except the only problem with that is God's way is the way that leads to life. Our way is the way that leads to death. And if you don't come to God His way, then the Bible simply says He won't accept you. So, oh man or woman, whoever you may be, if this is you, please stop trying to perfect what Christ already perfected by His sacrifice on the cross. Uh, right before Christ died, He said, It is finished. What did He mean by that? He meant that, hey, what I'm doing for you here... That can save you. That's it. It's finished. All the work to get people to heaven had been done when Jesus Christ died 
on the cross. So please don't forget about the way in which the Bible says someone must be saved. Through Jesus Christ alone and by, and by the baptism that he gives of his Holy Spirit. Because again, I said last week, we are saved when we're baptized, but we got to be baptized by God's Holy Spirit, not by water. Please, 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 please. Unless you, unless you are born again by God's Holy Spirit, the Bible says that you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's it. And that's not even one good work and not even baptism. Nothing. So please seek the Lord. Seek the Lord as to how he says that you're supposed to come through Jesus Christ. And seek the Lord as to how then Jesus Christ can give you this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because unless you are, unless you are, you shall not be saved eternally. And that's just it. All right, well, let's get on to our new sermon today, shall we? Our message title. I love this message title. I prayed a different couple times throughout the week. The Rays of Sunshine. The Rays of Sunshine. Acts 11, 19 through 26. If you want to read them over with me, please. Let's all read them together. Or you can listen along if you don't have a Bible. I'm okay with that. Bible says, verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. That's going to be important. Remember that as we go on in our, as our, in our study here today. Verse 20. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Praise God. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with one purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. That would be kind of a secondary adding to the Lord, by the way. Then Barnabas departed from Tarsus to, for Tarsus excuse me, to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him Back, or he brought him to Antioch, so that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Wow. So, as you just read in our text, God inspires Luke to go a completely different direction in his recording of the book of Acts of the Apostles, doesn't he? First, we're hearing about the, the Gentiles and then the problems with the saving of the Gentiles. And now we're off to a completely different, you know, hey, now we've got this new situation, this new idea. We've got a brand new idea to look at today. But praise be to God, it actually pretty much parallels the last idea we finished up studying. God showing these early Christians that he isn't just going to save Jews. He's going to save Gentiles as well. Today, we read of a group of people that we've heard a couple of times about in the book, right, in, in the book Acts, and that would be the, the Hellenists, right? We heard about them back in a couple different times. Paul preached to, or Saul, excuse me, I can't call him Paul yet. Saul preached to some Hellenists, and they rejected him, and then we also saw some Hellenists back in the early, early church when they were, the church was still being held in the temple. And then the disciple, actually the apostles, I should say, were helping them along and feeding their widows and so on and so forth. So this is about the third time we've heard of the Hellenists. Uh, who are they and how does Luke telling us about them here parallel God telling the Jewish Christians he was going to accept Gentiles? Let's find out as we go through our text, shall we? 
up to this point, the early Christians have received from God, number one, the fact that he doesn't want them and all Jewish Christians to call or consider, consider Gentiles unclean or filthy animals, right? Meant to be squashed like roaches or stayed away from, right? He, he loves them and he wants us to love them too. Uh, and he's called all Gentiles for salvation, uh, just like he has the Jews. So he's opened up salvation for all and he, and he wants us to love them instead of us calling them terrible things, or I should say, like I'm speaking like I'm a Jew, right? Not all Jews to call Gentiles unclean or dirty or like cockroaches. But here we see from the looks of what we just read in our section, sadly, this doesn't mean that every single Jewish Christian in the whole world has heard that news. News this humongous of God opening up the door for, you know, for Gentiles instead of Christians is going to take some time uh, to get used to. So uh, every Jewish Christian did not hear this news throughout the whole world. Look at verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution uh, that arose over Stephen, remember these Christians, uh, the Bible says that pretty much all except for a few devout men and the apostles left after Stephen was persecuted and after he was murdered. And so where did they go? Verse 19 says they went to Phoenicia, uh, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. But look at the very end of that verse there. Preaching to who? Preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Uh, so those Jews whom left Jerusalem after Saul was murdered, uh, or after Saul murdered or aided in the murder of Stephen, had gone off into all the known world to keep the great commission of Christ, right? Matthew 16, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's what they did. Uh, but as I've mentioned already, they haven't heard the humongous news of God also allowing Gentiles to be saved because as this verse just said, they went into all the known world, but they were preaching to the Jews only. Remember, to the Jews, salvation, they thought, was only for the Jews. They, they were so bigoted. They were so racist. They were so secular. I mean, they just... Oh, nose up and, you know, look down on other people and oh, it's only for the Jews and we're, we're the elect. Oh, what a terrible, terrible idea that God will only save some. Isn't it? That reminds me of a Christian doctrine that we have in our world today. Oh, God only saves, only saves some. And the Jews really, they thought the same thing. Well, we're the elect. We're the elect. God's only going to save the elect. It's crazy. Uh, these guys, the same guys that heard Jesus Christ speak on love everyone. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan. I mean, Jesus pretty much said right there, who, when the guy comes up and he tests Jesus, who's my neighbor? Jesus. And, and Jesus is like, okay, I, you know, you, I know you already know Jews are my neighbors, but what about those people that you hate? Yeah, all those people are your neighbors too. And he proved it to them and they didn't know what to say because Jesus taught love everyone. Have love toward everyone. Doesn't mean that just because we love them or because God loves them that they're saved, but God is love, so he expects his kids to love, for God is love. Moving on. But even though the way they were acting was terrible, these, these early Christians toward Gentiles and other peoples, keep reading, for, for even then, amidst all the past bigotry from Christ's personal apostles and the current bigotry from his current disciples that had gone into Antioch and all the known world uh, to preach to Jews only against the Gentiles, there are some small rays of sunshine from some unlikely disciples of Christ. For... In their evangelism, these unlikely Jewish disciples reach out to those whom the Jews had also developed a bigotry similar to the Gentiles against. Look at verse 20. But, notice that word but. That word but is a big word. It always means something when you see but. But, 
Some of them were from Cyprus in Cyrene. What does this mean? This means that some of these Jewish disciples were some uh, Greek cities. That's what Cyprus and Cyrene were. They were just simply Greek cities. And as they were also evangelizing the people, look at the verse 20, who, when they had come to Antioch, see now this is like a different, a different like subcategory, which Antioch was a capital city of Syria, they spoke who? To the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. Our unlikely rays of sunshine from these Greek cities preached Christ to the Hellenists, whom I've already said the Jews had developed a bigotry against. Why did the Jews have hatred for and look down on the Hellenists similar to the way they did the Gentiles? And how do we know that they did indeed have a bigotry against the Hellenists like they did the Gentiles? Were, Hel- were Hellenists Gentiles? No. Actually, they were Jews. They were Jews, but they spoke Greek, and so they were Greek-speaking Jews, and also non-traditionalists according to the Jewish cultural traditions, which means, understand here, what were Hellenists? They were Jewish by birth only, but they didn't think to keep in the ancient Hebrew language, or they didn't think keep in any of the ancient Hebrew traditional customs as ways of life as their ways of life. So they really were just Jews by birth. They weren't Jews by what they did. They were just Jews by birth. And because of this, the traditional Jewish Jews didn't even consider them Jewish at all. You would say, and then you say, how you say, Pastor, if they, if they were Jewish, then they were Jewish. Well, the evidence is there in scripture. Luke slips it in. Look back at 19 and 20. I'm going to read them together. This is going to blow your mind. God showed me this just on Friday, actually. I was just driving my school bus as I one of my jobs, and God was like, hey, remember that little thing there? Look at that. I'm going to show it to you. Look at verses 19 and 20 again, and I'll show you how even the Christians didn't consider the, the Hellenists real Jews, even though they were born Jews. Isn't that crazy? Verse 19 again. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, doing what? Preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So what did they see? They went to the Jews. They were going to synagogues, just like Jesus did. And what they see is they were preaching to the Jewish people only. That's what that verse says. There's the but again, verse 20. Some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, these these rays of sunshine that I'm talking about today, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. Notice the preaching to the Jews only in Antioch by bigoted disciples, then the addition of the but when it came to the Greek Christian Jews preaching to the Hellenists, yet they were Jews also. If Luke and all the Christians, even Christian Jews, considered Hellenist Jews, which they were by birth, then why add the but there, bringing a separation between the two peoples, unless Jews didn't consider Hellenists to be real Jews, even though they were. Isn't that crazy? Because if you're preaching to Jews only, but Hellenists were Jews, and then you have a subcategory of, well, well, these guys preach to the Hellenists, that means that in their minds, the Hellenists, they didn't consider Jews, even though they were. Wow. It just blows, every time I think of it, it just blows my mind. Uh, if, if they considered them the same, which by birth they were, the two verses would have read like this. All the Christians that went forth to preach the gospel after Stephen's murder went to all the cities and preached to Jews and the Jewish Hellenists as well too. But it doesn't, right? There's the distinction made. There's a but. 
And, 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 with no dis- and, and the distinction that's brought in there makes there two groups now, even though there's only one Jewish group, but they had, were so big in the, oh, they don't keep the traditions. Oh, well, they don't keep the language. Wow, they're ah, like, they, like filth. Like that, just like they thought of the Gentiles. They thought they were unclean. Uh, so again, the Jews that were Jewish by birth and kept the Hebrew language plus the ancient uh, Jewish traditions didn't consider the Hellenist Jews at all. Think of it this way. The tr- to a traditional Jew, a Hellenist was a traitor, kind of like a sellout, a, a turncoat, if you would, right? Uh, same way that the Jews looked upon the Jew, in the time of Jesus and before and after, uh, there were some Jews who actually kind of sold out their, their, their kind of heritage and they worked for the Roman government. And what did they do? They were tax collectors, kind of like Levi or, or Christ's apostle Matthew. Matthew was also Levi. He was a tax collector. And if you remember the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Gospels of Jesus Christ, it lumped tax collectors in with sinners. And that was a negative connotation, but Matthew was a Jew. So what happened was, is the Jews would look on anybody that was a traitor or turned to the opposite side or didn't keep the traditional, they, they looked at them all as filthy and unclean, just like they did Gentiles. Isn't that a shame? But praise be to God, remember our rays of sunshine here, right? These few, probably not too Jewish traditionalists themselves, Jews, right, as they were from a couple of Greek cities, who may have also faced this bigotry from traditional Jews, they, even though all of the other traditional Jewish Christian Jews seemingly were being bigoted against the Gentiles, same as the Hellenists, but not preaching Jesus Christ to them and to Jews only, our rays of sunshine come to Antioch and share Jesus Christ, and so the chance to have eternal life with them, or with Jesus Christ with them. Our rays of sunshine ignore the traditional Jewish bigotry toward these Greek-speaking Jews, and they preach Jesus Christ to them, because why? What was the reason why they did this? They said, we're going to let God's love flow through us, and they decide to love them, despite them being different despite them not being just traditional Jews just like us. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, that love is a choice? God wants us to love. In fact, Jesus Christ commands one time in the Gospel of John, he says, I, my will for you, Christian, is that you love one another as I have loved you. Why would he command them to love if love was natural? He loves not natural. Love is a choice. And here these guys made a choice to love them. And what I'm going to say next is hard and it's real and it's real life. Life is hard and difficult, ladies and gentlemen. And people, all people are the reason why life is difficult. And when I say all people make life difficult, I include myself with myself actually in that. It's difficult for me even often to live with myself. It's even often difficult for me to even live with and love myself, especially when I sin. (laughs) I hate sin so much, and when I sin, I'm like, stop it. Don't sin, Ed, stop it. But yet I sin, and then I don't like myself, and ah, it's a vicious cycle, and you all know what I mean. And if it's hard to live with and love yourself, oftentimes you will know this. It's even harder to live with others because of the things they do and the sin that they commit, or, and, and, or also I'll say the sin that we may think that they're committing, as in our case here, these, these Jewish right, traditionalists thought that the non-traditionalists were sinning, and hence they said, oh, they're unclean, 
right? Uh, or something that uh, we may think that they're doing or not living the way we may think that they should live being sinful, right? And so that's hard too. And that's the case we have with the traditional Jewish Jews and the non-traditional Jews by birth. The traditionalists wanted the non-traditionalists to live the ways their cultural traditions taught them to. And they didn't. It's just reality. They were, let's say they were Americans, but they, you know, they didn't like to salute the flag. Yeah, I brought that up. I'm sorry. I just had to bring that up. But yes, and you know, it's the thing is, is should we hate the people that don't salute the flag? I certainly don't like their choices. I think their choices are wrong, but do I hate them? Do am I bigoted against them? Did I not? Am I not going to preach Jesus Christ? Am I going to think them less of an American for doing that? Well, no. I just think they're making bad choices. Which, which here, we see here that they had a bigotry and a hatred toward the non-traditionalists because they just didn't keep all the Jewish ways when they thought that they should, right? And it's so sad. And because of this bigotry, they had marked them as not even Jewish, even though they were born Jews. Wow. What a terrible shame and sin. And, and I'm not talking about the non-traditionalists either. I think that the way that the traditionalists were treating the non-traditionalists, that was sin. To, just because you don't keep the culture, then that means that you treat them less than a human being? Somebody to be stayed away from? Somebody that you, don't, that you think is a, is, a, is a worthless person? Come on, that's just terrible. A, a similar thing happens today, and even with Christians against others who aren't Christians, especially with those whose lives are in harsh and stark contradiction to ours. I'm going to discuss these folks and how some act in the name of Jesus Christ toward them at the sermon close. Christians, though, I want to say this. It's hard to love people, especially when they live in ways that offend us, as is the case here with these two people groups we read of in Scripture today. But, there's always a but, and that but, that but always means something big. But if we're obedient to love them like Jesus Christ commands us to, we must look past the many ways they offend us by their lifestyles and their mouths and their actions and their words and do what these Jewish disciples, these real Christians, these guys were real Christians. Our rays of sunshine were real Christians, what they did what these Jewish non-traditionalists do. Despite the prejudice their traditional Jewish brethren have against these non-traditionalists, they preach Jesus Christ to them and give them the truth. And what do they give them really in Jesus Christ and the truth? A chance at life in Christ. Praise God. For if we don't have Christ or even know about Christ, then we can't have life. In Christ. Wow. Just just think of that in, in your lives and how you act and the things you do and how you look at others. And we're going to cover that at the end, but we, uh, that, that, that's not our last verse. I just, just planting that seed in your mind. Moving forward to verse 21. How does God respond to our rays of sunshine for their obedience to love these non-traditionalist Jews in spite of how they live against the traditions of the traditionalist Jews? Look at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Having hatred towards anyone of a different belief or a different traditional way of life as you have, or even being bigoted, hating those who don't follow the God of the Bible, so non-Christians causing you to be bigoted and prejudiced towards them, doesn't please God. For it's not love. 
It's just simply not love, and God is love. I've never heard of hatred towards any person or people group winning anyone to Christ. I've never have, not even one incident. Well, I hated that guy into the kingdom of heaven. It just doesn't happen, guys. If you're a true Christian, truly born again, having hatred or being bigoted towards anyone for any reason, it's not God's will for you to do that. And it's not what he expects from you. And these ways, Christians, have no place in your heart or your life. So if this is you and you're listening to me and you've noticed this and this is you, stop it. Stop it. Because love wins. God took their love and magnified it and allowed these non-traditionalists, these cast-offs, we'll call them, because that's what they were. The Jews had cast them away had considered them like Gentiles. And, and, and let me tell you something. You may be sitting here going, well, so what, they were like Gentiles. Or, well, so what, they were, you know, they were like this. Or so, and so what, the Jews hated them or had a bigotry to, against them. Do you know what it's like to have somebody that's bigoted against you? Do you know what it's like to know people look down at you? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But I'm telling you because I know. If you know someone is bigoted against you, if you know someone hates you just because of a certain thing about you, if you know it, it hurts. It hurts. It stings. Trust me, I know from firsthand experience, this hurts and this stings. And you don't feel loved at all. And it's so easy for your brain to go, oh, because they think that way about you, that they must be right. They must be right. And that, that, I mean, I know that's not where we should go, but that's unfortunately where I have gone because it's, it's hard to know people think of you like, like a roach and still move on and go, oh, God loves me anyway. That's a fight to do that. That's a fight to do that. It's hard when people look down on you for no reason. And they look down on you because you're different. And here we see that God uses their love for these non-traditionalists. And they said, you know, I don't care if they're different. I'm preaching Christ to them, even though they're cast off of the world. Even though, you know, my own brethren of my country don't love them. Even though my own Jewish brethren hate these people. God is love. And you know what? Let's preach to them. And they did. And, and God responds by opening up the floodgates and, and, and pouring out a great salvation amongst these people. And, and you know, I'm glad he did because that just shows us that God's not a bigot, that God's not prejudiced, that God's not racist, that God truly does love even the castoffs. Wow. God really loves the castoffs. I could have named the sermon that, but but that, but the rays of sunshine are what God wanted me to focus on because these guys are awesome. So, so these loving and awesome Greek, probably non-traditionalist Jews themselves, these Christian rays of sunshine from a couple of Greek cities come to these non-traditional Jews, the Hellenists and Antioch, and because of their unconditional love towards them, the Lord honors their work and his hands are with them and a great number of them turn to the Lord or get saved. And the fact that they did was just as Big of news is the Jewish Christian to the Jewish Christian world as the Gentile Cornelius and his household turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. And because it was, look at how the apostles respond, verse 22. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, that was the apostles, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Now, 
even though back in Acts 6, the Hellenists were part of the original church that the original apostles were operating before the murder of Stephen, obviously the acceptance of them in the Jewish Christian camp of that day had turned back to bigotry because, again, remember our first verse 29, the disciples that were dispersed after Stephen's murder only preached to the Jews, and, of course, they excluded the Hellenists except for our rays of sunshine that we're talking about here. And because the bigotry had crept in and the Jewish Christians had stopped loving them, the Hellenists turned to the Lord Jesus Christ in Acts 11 here. Let me back up here. And because the bigotry had crept back in and the Jewish Christians had stopped loving them, but these Jewish Christian rays of sunshine had turned away from that bigotry and gone to reach them for Christ, the Hellenists turned to the Lord Jesus Christ in Acts 11 here. And this is great enough news that these same apostles in Acts 6 send out one of their big guns, whom was also in that early church, Acts 4, Joseph or Barnabas, to go see what was happening there. Why send the disciple Barnabas instead of one of the original 11 apostles to go to this place? Well, think about what we've looked at so far. God showed me this neat little nugget in the scripture. Think about what we've talked about so far, right? All of the hatred and bigotry and, and, and just terrible ways in which these, these, these traditional Jews looked up, down upon the non-traditionalists. And now get this. Right? Think of all that they'd faced right, from the traditional Jews. Now, now, get this. The name Barnabas, the name the apostles named Joseph, means son of encouragement. Do you get it yet? Are you starting to see? Do you understand? Uh, let me explain. These non-traditional Jews needed some great encouragement from the Jews that were the traditional Jews, of which Barnabas was one of, right? For they faced great hatred and bigotry from them. Sadly, as I just stated, both the non-Christian Jews, traditional Jews, and the Christian Jews even had bigoted and were bigoted against the Hellenists. Isn't that terrible? And what a great way, what a great way to show the non-traditional Jews that the traditional Jewish Christian Jews really loved them and weren't bigoted against them anymore, and that they didn't hate them anymore, but to send their big-gun Jewish brother, uh, that was a big-gun Christian traditional Jew, full of what? Full of love and full of encouragement to them. Uh, so full of love and encouragement that he was, he was actually given the name Son of Encouragement. Think of it. His original name was Joseph, but he showed them he was so full of love and so full of faith and so full of encouragement. They were like, man, we got to rename this guy. Well, I wish somebody would do that for me, rename me because of some awesome characteristic that I have for God. I mean, you have to be really full of encouragement and love to get that name changed, don't you? I mean, this dude sounds amazing. He sounds like definitely somebody that I want to meet once I'm in eternity with God. And this all, what? It all makes sense. It all, and when, when you put it all together and when you look at the realities and what, 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 what their culture and the reality of where they lived and who they were, it all makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, did you know that God doesn't want people to throw out common sense when they get saved? But you know so many people do throw out common sense when they get saved. A anyway, look at what using their common sense, which is godly, leads to look at verses 23 and 24. When he, Barnabas, came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. And what? Encouraged them all. Wow, he encouraged them. 
They need an encouragement. Well, common sense, right? Send the big encourager. God knew, and he encouraged them all with, with purpose of heart. They should continue with the Lord, for he was what? Listen to this. This is awesome. What a testimony of this man. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And, and what was the result of him coming and encouraging them all? What was the result of that? And look at the end of 24, and a great many people were added to the Lord. I can see the glimmer of love in their eyes and in their hearts at this point. Can't you? These, these poor Hellenists, these poor castoffs, right? The, the point of being encouraged and truly loved and non-bigoted by traditional Jewish Jews, Barnabas, the great encourager, comes. And them being loved by the first non-bigoted Christian disciples that came to Antioch and who didn't ignore them or, 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 or were racist against them like the other Jewish traditional Christians did before them, right? The fact that our rays of sunshine ignored the common Jewish prejudices the Hellenists were used to receiving, and then God sending Barnabas, the great traditional Jewish Christian encourager, and because of all of this, as God's word just said, a second time even, and a great many people were being added to the Lord. Twice this, this camp of the Hellenists, this area of the Hellenists, Twice these people are coming to the Lord going, wow, these, they do love us. Oh, God must be real. We're loved, right? The, the non-traditional Jews saw pure and undefiled love from these Jewish Christians. And because, because love wins, because love really wins, love's a choice and love wins, they were one to Christ. Boy, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. And all because of their unbiased love. A love that broke the bonds of traditional bigotry. Wow, isn't that awesome? And, 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 and a shocking kind of end twist to our whole section. It's, I wish I could have just ended with verse 24. Uh, look at what Barnabas does next. Just a surprising, like, you would have never thought this was coming. And like, God, why? I don't understand why, but I'll give you why. God kind of showed me why. Look at verses 25 and 26, our last two verses. Then Barnabas departed. Barnabas left? What? Why would he he leave? For Tarsus to seek Saul? Huh? And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, or you could say back to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Did did you catch the shocking twist? Barnabas, the great encourager, goes to get Saul. There's that that twist. And then we hear of a church. When did that happen? A church in Antioch? There wasn't a church before this moment. In, and we don't hear of a church in Antioch. A church? Uh, what? Then they stayed there together for a whole year and taught a great many people uh, to help them grow in the Lord Jesus Christ in that church? Well, why did Barnabas bring that twist upon them uh, and us today? Why did he go get Saul, the uh, ex-Jewish persecutor of Christians? Well, the only reason or reasons that I could think of that I believe that God showed me were these. Why did Barnabas do this? Although Barnabas was a great encourager, a great man of encouragement, a great man of love, and a great man of compassion, he was probably not a great teacher of the word. While Saul would have been for the fact that he had been and was even currently a Pharisee, which was, they were great teachers and great knowers of the law and great knowers of God's word. So God, again seeming here, uses common sense again, and he calls a man that he'd been preparing for such an occasion as this one. Saul, the soon-to-be great apostle Paul, the great Christian teacher and evangelist whom would go on to write, believe it or not, over half of the whole New Testament of the Bible, while Barnabas, 
while we don't even read of him writing one book of the Bible, not even one. And as I might add, not only was he a great Christian teacher, Saul was, but we also know that he was a Pharisee, which meant that he was a traditional Jew of all traditional Jews. And what? a vehement keeper of Jewish tradition. And yet when he came, this even let the guys know even more, wow, this guy even loves us too, and he's teaching us the Bible, wow. Uh, they weren't probably very many on earth that were more Jewish in culture and religion uh, than Saul. Right? There probably weren't many, uh, especially him being a Pharisee. Uh, there were only about 6,000 Pharisees, uh, according to Josephus. So he was one of them. And as he claimed to be Acts 23, 6, he claims to be a Pharisee and a son of Pharisee, which meant that he kept the way of life of a Pharisee, even though he was a great teacher of the Christian faith. And talk about someone who by this time knew Christ. I mean, come on. He saw him on the road to Damascus, for crying out loud, right? And then Christ set him apart to go on a mission. What? To go to his hometown of Tarsus. And what do you think he did there in Tarsus? Well, he studied the Bible. He studied the prophecies of Jesus Christ. He studied the things that he had been, God had been teaching. The Holy Spirit was speaking to him. Hey, this is what we're doing. This is who I am. Who, this is who I am. And so this guy was set up to do nothing but God was preparing him to teach the word of God and the Christian way of life as, again, he writes over half of the 27 books of the New Testament. And then if you really want to go on, there were 27. He wrote about 14, but the book of Acts is about half about him. So let's say that he, uh, let's say that he was included in about 14 and a half of the 27 Christian books of the New Testament where he was doing what? Teaching, evangelizing, showing people the way to God. Uh, Pharisees were master students and teachers. Again, we don't read of any background of teaching by Barnabas. Scripture just tells us that he was a great encourager. Isn't God so wise? Isn't God so wise? And doesn't he use such awesome common sense in everything that he does? Right? God knows why he does. He's the master and creator of both. And here, even though it seems, well, why did Barnabas go get Saul? Well, that's the only thing that God spoke to me as to why. Maybe there were more. Maybe he just needed a partner to help him. But why not go back and get an apostle? Or why not go back and get another disciple that has been around since the beginning of church? But why does he choose, why does he choose Saul? Well, it just makes sense. Saul was a great teacher. These people needed to know about the Christian faith. They were brand new to the Christian faith. And who, what better, way, better person to teach them than somebody who met Christ and was also a great teacher of everything that he taught. End result, though, of all of God's and disciples' common sense here in Antioch and the love of these Christian rays of sunshine, these Jewish uh, uh, from a couple of Greek cities, to step in here and love and go above and beyond in love to love these Hellenists whom the traditional Jewish Jews, even the Christian traditional Jews, had kicked to the curb whom had made outcasts, right? Being bigoted towards them. The end result of all of this awesome stuff was that the outcasts by the Jewish Jews were accepted by Christ and they turned to him and many of them were saved. These outcasts saw the unconditional love by our rays of sunshine and they responded with committing their lives to Jesus Christ because why? Because love wins. And when real Christians show real love, real love wins in people's hearts. 
sadly, as I told you earlier, there's a whole movement of a group of people that claim to be of Christ, and they go out, and in Jesus Christ's name, they call people nasty names, preaching to them that they need to stop their sin and stop all their evil, like that's going to save them for, you know, we know the Bible says that stopping sinning is how we're saved. <clears throat> Sorry. Salvation comes by repentance in Jesus Christ, not when we stop sinning, ladies and gentlemen. It comes from us turning our hearts to the Lord, and then our stopping sinning will come after we turn to the Lord, not because we stop sinning, then God accept us. So sadly, we have this huge heresy, and again, what they do is they go out and they hate people, and they say nasty names to people, and in Jesus Christ's name, no yet. And what does this do? I've never heard of this winning anyone to Christ. This is so, so sad. The last time I looked, you don't show someone that you love them by calling them nasty names. Even in Jesus Christ's mighty name. You just don't show someone that you love them by telling them nasty things about them. You just don't show. And in fact, isn't that what we just, uh, uh, isn't that what we just hear as a church what we just experienced lately. Oh, I love you, uh, sir, 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 but boom, 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 boom. We even had this happen in Gospel Saving Church. Somebody's saying terrible, terrible, terrible things about one of us, and yet, oh, but I love you. Well, you don't show someone you love them by saying nasty things to them and about them. Uh, Christians, my exhortation to you today, upon even my own personal experience, preach the Lord Jesus Christ and preach Him in love to everyone, especially preach Him in love to those who you don't really like as people because of their lifestyles. Yes, I did say that. Oh, Christian, you just said oh, you don't like people? Yes, that's right. Everybody has people that they don't like. I don't care whether you're Christian or whether you're non-Christian or whether you're Satanist or you think you don't, whatever. You have people that you don't like. And you all well know, know well who I speak of. I'm not saying that just because we as Christians or anybody don't like certain people that we hate them, but because of their sinful lifestyles, we have a tendency to stay away from and not make contact with those whom we kind of have a tendency not to like because of the ways in which they live. Now, there are people in this world, they're all around us everywhere, and they live in the most evil and heinous lifestyles of sin. Lives just full of the ways that are completely contrary to ours as followers of Christ. Some examples, just some, would be homosexuals, the LGBT community, the transgenders, the Satanists, the haters of God that call themselves atheists. You know those of our society whose lives and beliefs and ways are absolutely and completely contrary, opposite to ours as followers of Christ and ours as followers of the Bible. We strive, a true Christian, a true biblical Christian, I might add that, a, a, a true biblical Christian, one that the Bible says is, is somebody that really follows Jesus Christ, we strive to live holiness. Certain people in our world, many people in our world, strive to live lives of pleasure unto themselves. We strive to seek Christ and to serve Christ, and the majority of people on the earth strive to seek themselves. And, and strive to please themselves and their fleshly desires and then make excuses even of in the Bible of, oh, this is what I can do because, oh, God loves me. Well, I'm sorry, that's not what the Bible says. 
The Bible says that if you love Jesus Christ, Jesus says, why do you say you love me, but don't do the things which I say? A true biblical Christian is one that loves Jesus Christ and follows his ways and believes the Bible, God's whole counsel of the Bible, not puts their own twist on things and says, well, I can love God, but this, 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 that, and the other, I'm going to do this, this, that, and the other thing. And they're all sinful, of course, things that God says in his word he hates and that are abomination to him, right? So Christians, my, my challenge to you today is this. Will you start to become the rays of sunshine as our examples today in Scripture to these types of Jewish people or these types of people I just described, going above and beyond your dislike of them because of their lifestyles and in love because even though you don't like them because of their lifestyles, you do love them because of that love, because of this love, preach Jesus Christ to them instead of avoiding them or being bigoted towards them and, and, and doing these things because why? Love wins. Love wins. Forget about the things about them that you don't like and love them like our Christian rays of sunshine did with these non-traditionalist Jews who had been kicked to the curb. Uh, this is the kind of love that God wants you to have for them, not treating them like a disease, but rather going to them uh, that are full of the disease of sin that separates them from God and going to them and speaking to them of the cure for that disease. And what is that cure? Well, Jesus Christ is that cure. Th that is my challenge to those of you who are truly saved. Get out there. Stop avoiding people. I'm guilty of it myself. I speak to myself also. And start reaching those people whom you just generally dislike because of their ways of life. Now, are you one of those who doesn't have the cure to your disease, the disease that separates you from God, your willful rebellion to live your life as the master of your own destiny and the captain of your ship, living in willful sin, living in that lifestyle of willful sin, the one that God hates? Well, I'm here today to talk to you whom have been cast off by the world and are separated from God. Those whom have faced bigotry from those around you and maybe even from those whom call themselves Christians because of the ways of your life, they have a bigotry towards you. And you can tell, right, if this is you, then the Bible has the cure. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he paid the highest Christ that exists and has ever and will ever exist by the laying down of his life on the cross to save you from your sin and to bring you to God. And when you come through Jesus Christ and when he saves you, you come to God perfect. Wow, doesn't that sound awesome? You get to come to God perfect. And I'm here in love to tell you that he loves you more than you could ever know, but... He wants you to turn to him in surrender, giving him the lawful right to be the Lord of your life. You making the decision because of the love he's shown you and for you and is showing you even today to you making the decision to follow him and the ways he says to live and no longer solely live for yourself. You, he says, he wants you to take yourself off the throne of your life because that's the rebellion that sends people to hell. Not because people sin willfully here or, or, or are homosexuals or, or uh, they smoke cigarettes or, or they're, they're transgender or, or this or that. Whatever sin you may think people commit, they don't, people don't go to hell because of those sins or any sin, really. The, big, the only reason people go to hell is because 
they're in rebellion against God. They want to be their own Lord. And he, they don't want to let Him be their Lord. That's the sin that will send you to hell. And He wants you now to turn from your ruling yourself and follow Him the ways He says to live and no longer solely live for yourself. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 16, 24 says this, of, of all those who, who want to come to Him or, or think, oh, you know, what about Jesus? Was He the way? Jesus said to His disciples, if anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself. Take yourself off the throne and surrender your heart and let Jesus Christ be your master. Let him rule you. Let him be the one whom you go to. Let him be the one that you bow down to, bow down to, that you fall on your knees and you cry out to, save me, Lord Jesus, from whatever you may be needing saving from. That's what he wants. That's what deny himself or themselves mean. Then he says, take up your cross and then follow me. And of course, we know like what I talked about in the beginning of the sermon, take up your cross. These are, okay, God expects you to live a certain way now that you are saved, but that doesn't save you. But then he says, after you take yourself off the throne and put me on there, now live the ways that I told you to live and, and then follow me. Do the things which I said that you should do. How will you respond to the news of the one, one, all caps one, who takes all outcasts that come to him in surrender and adopts them in unconditional love, despite how you may have been thrown out by the world? How will you respond to this news? Come to him today. Please come to him Today, he's waiting for you. Fall upon your knees today and cry out to him. Tell him you're sorry for your rebellion against him. Tell him you're sorry that you're the Lord of your life and ask him to be the Lord of your life. Plead with him, beg him, cry out to him and say, Jesus, please, I need you. Save me today. I don't want to be the Lord of my life anymore. Look at your life. Look at your life. If you're like this, your life's falling apart. Your life's in ruin. You are not saving your life. You're not saving your soul. You're ruining your life. You're ruining your soul. Same as I did for 25 years of my life before Christ. I ruined my life. I ruined my soul. But God's there, he says, come to me. I want to save you. Come to me, cry out to me, call upon my name and ask me to save you. Ask him to take you in and save you from your sin. Will you choose today to commit your life to the one that first loved you and even choose to love you even while you're running away from him, even when you're living in rebellion against him? He still loves you and he still says, come to me. Come to me, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Turn to him if you're not already with him. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your grace, God in heaven, your awesome, awesome grace. Thank you so much, God, for your just your, your unconditional love. God, that you loved us whether... 
You love people whether they love you or not. Again, Lord, as I said, that doesn't mean that people are saved just because you love them. But God, the fact that you can love people even though they don't love you back, wow, Lord, that's an amazing love. That's an amazing, amazing love. And then that, that anyone who turns to you, Lord, you said come to me. And then that means you don't tell people to come to you and then you'll turn them away. God, that means that anybody can come to you, Lord, and turn away from self and turn to you and surrender to you, and then you'll accept them. Anybody and all peoples, no matter who they are, or no matter what they believe or who they think they are, whether they think you're real or not, Lord, if they turn to you, you'll take them in. You're the father of all orphans, Lord God. And everybody on earth, Lord, before they're yours, they're an orphan spiritually to you. So God, please continue to draw people that I'm talking to and to draw all mankind, Lord God, to you, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, today, that some would hear this, Lord God, and they, they would turn and they would fall on their knees and cry out to you and cry out to you for a new life and, and salvation and, and just life and not death as they live now. I love you, Lord, and I praise you, and I thank you, dear God in heaven. And I ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.